All right, and half an hour in, are we ready to roll? Yeah, whenever, uh... She sells seashells by the seashore. Seashells, seashells, well, shit. You bars that up. (laughs) Liberty is too precious a thing to be buried in books, Miss Saunders. Men should hold it up in front of them every single day of their lives and say, I'm free to think and to speak. My ancestors couldn't, I can. And my children will. You know, I'm a voter. Aren't you supposed to lie to me and kiss my butt? discussion podcast with a three drink minimum i'm dan caves i'm jt andrews and i'm zane roliford yes listeners as you just heard we have our first guest zane welcome to the cocktail party congress love lovely to be here i love what you've done with the place (laughs) (laughs) the curtains match the drawers you know it's not much but it's home it's it's (laughs) the bunker in an undisclosed location (laughs) Hang some curtains on, you know, paint a window in, hang some (laughs) curtains, why not? Uh, Well, you know, we've come to the end of our Bill of Rights discussion, but, you know, it seems like a good time to to sort of revisit one of our our earliest topics, the very first topic, the First Amendment. Zane. Yeah, after you have the original and then several sequels, it's time to reboot. Exactly. We've got three Judeo, like, Abrahamic religions, so we might as well have three full episodes to the for the for the first amendment so makes sense you know this is a you know we're two two-thirds of the way there um <laughs> yeah so tonight we're talking about free um well freedom of religion and uh, freedom from religion i suppose religious mm-hmm. i'd say re- religion in politics yeah. almost, almost seems like the, the effect that the religion has on politics and vice versa yeah more generally well before we jump too much into it let us let us do a better job of introducing our guest Zane. This is our this is our first foray into having uh, having a third on the show, <laughs> so we're we're still finding our sea legs. Uh, Zane, why don't you tell got us a, a little bit got a about lot of good pointers. Uh, yourself? You you are a fellow podcaster. In fact, this podcast wouldn't exist without you. Oh well, honestly. thank you very much. Yeah, you, um, you, you got me into it. So, so uh, yeah. I'm Zane. And myself and uh, my brother Ben, we make up the Carton Cast, which is a podcast where we talk about cartoons. It's nothing so highfalutin, but we do have fun with it. Uh, and Dan, we've had you as a guest on uh, many times. And JT, you are welcome to, to join sometime. And, um, you know, after, after a few years of doing that, we decided, well, you know, maybe we should try to expand. And so we, we decided to get in with um, uh, Andrew Spawn of Amusement Sparks. And we started another podcast, Empowered, where we talk about superpowers. And we started this podcast network called Fancy Bat, which you are now a part of. And we're very happy to have you. And the idea of the network was a lot of people want to just have a podcast and have a platform to reach more people. Um, but it can be difficult. And finding guests especially can be a little daunting when you don't know anyone. And so we wanted to make it easier for anyone who wants to... Um, start a podcast or just try out an episode somewhere or just, you know, get recorded or meet new people, uh, we wanted to have a platform for that. And Fantastic. that's me. <laughs> you're, 
Well, you're doing there God's go. work, Zane. And, <laughs> and Zane, uh, I believe this episode's uh, dispatch from Mahogany Ridge is being hand-delivered by you. So uh, yeah. please tell us, what what exactly are we drinking tonight? You know, Oh, well... <laughs> <laughs> Today is please, our uh, please tell. tonight. Tonight's our special on uh, religion and politics. So I thought let's do a religion-inspired drink. So the generic form of this is uh, Jesus juice, which takes fifty-fifty um, red wine and Dr Pepper, and it's one of those classic, you know, low-class, delicious, sweet drinks uh, that'll get you drunk faster than you think it will. Uh, for me myself, I uh, you know, as as a person of uh, Jewish descent. I put a little twist on it. I only use Manischewitz wine for this, and <clears throat> my term for this drink is my son the doctor, and you do have to say it like that. <laughs> you have to say it with that accent specifically. And yes. I like to add in a little bit of lime juice, but uh, flavor to your taste. Ooh. That's I, was, I was tempted to put a couple of maraschino cherries in this. Mm. It just, Tempting, but I didn't do it. Sweeter and fruitier, just double down on it. it, it it's almost like a, uh, it's almost like a sangria with uh, Dr Pepper. Yeah, yeah I've never got... liked sangria that much, but this, this, uh, this goes down smooth. How are you enjoying mm. it? I'm ashamed to say that I like this. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I, I love wine everyone. so much. I, I'm, I love wine so much. To me, it's, it's practically a religion. But I, I've, um... never, I've never, whenever I describe it, nobody doesn't quetch. <laughs> <laughs> so um i'm using a malbec wine in this just a a reasonably priced malbec sure yeah, it did not come in a it didn't come in a jug it came in a bottle no you you've got us beat on the jug there zane i wish our listeners could see it <laughs> count, count yourself lucky for the theming we almost uh drank zima with root beer flavoring Oh, no. Oh, no. I don't think I could find Zemo where I am. There's a limited release recently. That I I, I stocked up. I was so excited. (laughs) That might have worked really well for our Cruel and Unusual Punishment episode, because that is a cruel and unusual punishment. But, yeah, this drink, I'm I'm really enjoying Jesus Juice right now. I, I wasn't expecting the flavors to come together. Uh, like they did, but it's it's got the sweetness, it got the spiciness of the of the Dr Pepper, and of course, wine is great. I got Melbeck too. <laughs> L- yeah. Late summer's day can't go wrong. Absolutely. <laughs> well, anywho, anywho, um, <laughs> yes, get to the first clause of the First Amendment in our first episode on the subject, because I, I already knew that this uh, this conversation was down it's, the pipeline. It is a political kind of hot-button kind of thing. If you're in politics, you can only really do this the one way, and so having a, a frank discussion about it is something that is best pushed off to the latest date possible. Exactly, and you know, th- this episode is going to be full of family fun. It's going to be full of wholesome <laughs> goodness. It's going to be, it, it's, it, it's going to, it's, it's going to fill you with moral, moral warmth. I think and... it's going to become a Christmas tradition. Well, as the First Amendment goes, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So there, we've we've fulfilled our duty in making this about our Bill of Rights and Responsibilities series. So. I. I find the wording on that so interesting. Yeah? Because it doesn't say they're guaranteeing the freedom of religion. They're saying, first off, Congress can't make a law establishing or keeping people from exercising it. So that is one of the three branches only that is limited here. Mm -hmm. And I've always wondered, well, what's stopping 
any president from, you know, saying, okay, they're a cult. Right, through, through executive powers or executive right. action. And, and yeah, would Congress be forced to limit that? Would the courts be forced to step in? I've always wondered, and I don't think I've ever found a proper answer for why it's phrased that way, because this is the first part, and every part of the Bill of Rights, you can see they, they went back and forth on a lot of the phrasing. Yeah, they did, and you can go to the original, um, yeah, the original drafts of the amendments. You can find them on the internet and elsewhere, and very different verbiage on on the First right. Amendment. Like freedom of conscience is one of the phrases that came up a lot before they they ended up rephrasing it as this more specific, more more precise way of putting mm-hmm. it. I'm gonna. I may be able to provide some clarification for you, Zane, why that may not ever happen, <laughs> uh, if, <laughs> and why we thankfully should uh, should hope that it will never happen. But you know, uh, the, our current president mm-hmm. may may see his authority a little more broadly than than we do. But thankfully, we have the Fourteenth Amendment, and the Fourteenth yeah. Amendment guarantees equal protection under the law, and that has been used to interpret in um, Supreme Court cases the First Amendment to apply up and down the board. It's one of the few amendments that is completely incorporated to the states. So states Mm -hmm. and the federal level need to abide by that that phrasing of the uh, of the amendment and all the case law that it's generated. So so every state like has to abide by the First Amendment to ensure that the American people uh, maintain those rights, both freedom of and freedom from religion. Man, every time I hear about what the 14th Amendment does for us, it's always more. You know, it's like when you learn of just how much the liver does for you, right? It's the liver (laughs) of our habeas corpus, so to speak. And we know all about that. I'd like to thank my liver for putting up with me so much. I know I treat it badly, but uh, thanks for sticking in there, buddy. Practice makes perfect. We're almost attached at the hip, but. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, well, just one last thing. An interesting, like, vestigial piece of law that's still out there before the 14th Amendment, um, a number of states included in their state constitutions or in statutes um, very specific religious tests for state office. And so... Uh, in like Massachusetts, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, just to name a few, there are still laws on the books that prohibit uh, uh, disbelief in a deity to hold mm-hmm. uh, public office or to serve on a jury in some jurisdictions. But since the 14th Amendment, those those laws have basically become unenforceable. So they're there just for show. Interesting. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, why start a ruckus? Yeah, this yeah. is this is fascinating because it it shows you how forward thinking some of the founders were to to say, you know, the government can't enforce a, a religion of any sort upon people because, you know, many of the founders were deists rather than theists. So just mm-hmm. a you know, terminology there, a deist will say, you know, maybe there's maybe there's a root cause of this world of ours. Whereas a theist is more, well, there's an active godly presence in our lives. 
yeah, I, I flirted with deism for a while before I really like <laughs> embraced the fact that it's like, nah, I don't think there's a supervisor. It's a nice hedge. It, <laughs> it, it, it is a great yeah. hedge. It's so, the divine watchmaker <laughs> idea. So, sort of the, uh, as Christopher Hitchens would say, a sort of a celestial North Korea, <laughs> right? a, a, dicta- a dictatorship within the, within the stars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the uh, I think this is something we really need to address because so many people in America identify uh, as Christians, some evangelist Christians, uh, and we always see their um, their impact upon uh, current laws mm-hmm. and current interpretations of laws. And that's something that I think really does need to be addressed because it, it exists. You can't just make it disappear overnight. Oh, it's, it's you, huge. We have to... We have to address it. Yeah, you can see, mm-hmm. you know, you can see the fight over, um, you know, religious minorities trying to maintain their rights. And you can see this in a, in a variety of small ways across a number of different faiths. But the only times when you really see, like, the government stepping in and saying, no, one group doesn't get this privilege versus everyone has to do the same thing is in the is in the case of uh, of Christianity. Um. And and its effects on politics, just because, you know, there's a good chance that judge of yours is Christian. There's a good chance your legislator, if they aren't, they say they are. Um, it's it's hugely influential and, and kind of uniquely to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, among the first world nations. It's It's got a higher rate of religiosity than pretty much any European nation that I can think of. There's an irony there, too, because oh. one of the reasons why... European nations tend to be like tend to be less religious and religion plays far less of a role in their politics is because that they had established religions <laughs> and they know how and, and they know how bad that can go and the distortions that that can create because no. because we have the first amendment and, that like is specifically anti establishment of a religion now, in, in, uh, in, I'm sorry if I cut you off. Oh, no, there. go on. Go on. Uh, in, in recent days, uh, we've seen a lot of other states starting to see this uh, almost a resurgence in, uh, a, I would call it a populist resurgence of very religious-based laws. I know Poland's going through this. Germany is, is very much starting to see this uh, sort of coming back uh this idea of uh, the church's influence on uh, the government. Mm-hmm. And they're starting to, uh, I think Bavaria is right now really getting into uh, uh, religious law. Like they're mm-hmm. start, starting to, uh, you can start seeing religious uh, impact on the laws that they're starting to pass, mm-hmm. uh, specifically Christian law. It's It's an interesting paradox in that freedom of religion is good but a more religious society tends to incur certain costs that a more secular society wouldn't um and if you know for a person a person who is religious you know it's been studied um you know in the scientific literature it's been studied a bit a person who is religious and is part of a religious community will tend to have better like health outcomes they'll be more socially well adjusted they'll have a broader circle of Uh, acquaintances who can help them in their times of need but in a greater society in terms of the country level the more secular societies tend to do better it's it's a it's a weird paradox 
Yeah, it is. What, do either of you have it's a thought about why that may be? I mean, I, I don't think that it scales up well because it is such a... For for all of our faults, this is a, quite a pluralistic society, and so there is a plural, like a, a great pluralism of viewpoints. And so having any single sect, and I need to pronounce sect, not sex. <laughs> no, no. You dirty listeners here. <laughs> get your minds out of the gutter. <laughs> Well, if I didn't get my mind out of the gutter, it'd be homeless. I know, right? Two two cultists are uh, sect buddies. Yes. Oh my God. This is how that works. Uh, <laughs> you're really. You're, please drink for that pun. You're really raising the bar here. But, mm. Mm. but yeah, but having any one sect um, elevated over another in any established way, that will like that doesn't represent even a minority of of the people like a, a society as complex as ours and as mm-hmm. big as ours needs to have its laws apply to the broadest possible set of citizens and religion is sort of an instantly divisive topic because there are so <laughs> many different well because I mean, there are so many different s- approaches to like a- approaches to it, it, it it's like s- yeah, so uh, many wars have been fought over over religion yes. like so many people have like fought and died for their religion it's, like just fighting against another it's an religion. inherently high stakes opinion right <laughs> um so I'll, I'll tell you where i'm i'm coming from with this Please. so i've uh you know i've been an atheist for uh, a long time in my life and i went through an you know anti-theist phase in in college where i was like religion you know this this illogical nature of people this uh, ability to believe things that are obviously false. This is the biggest problem in our world. And I, I'm i still an atheist. That hasn't changed. But the fact is, you know, I went and I went to... Uh, after college, I went to go teach at a high school, in a, in a high-needs, high-poverty high school for a couple of years. And I realized right quick, oh, Religion's not even close to our biggest priority. It's it's poverty, it's inequality, and I think religiosity is correlated with that. But to 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 single it out as the problem, I think is uh, I don't know, I don't know. I, I uh, it used to be more convincing uh, yeah. than it is. It's uh, it's almost like you have to look at re- religiosity um, in terms of. I would say cult, not just cultural benefit, but societal benefit to a benefit of the people themselves. So, for example, um, would it make more sense to build a hospital or a church? I would argue it's much more important <laughs> to, to build a hospital because this is something that literally every single person is going to benefit from. Right. Like everybody is human. Everybody is uh, has health needs, and everybody can require a trip to the hospital. Um, so I would say a hospital is far more important than the the thoughts and prayers oh, of somebody to get. The way I've mm-hmm. evolved on this oh. is I now recognize that the church does have some importance in the fact that you know if if we're not interested in making people feel better and making people's lives feel more worth living and and increase that sort of well-being, you know, what's the point of all this civilization if we're not going to be happier about it? So yeah. I can still, you know, it, it. I realized it doesn't do anything for me to go to a religious service, but I can recognize now that it does help a lot of people. That's an interesting thought. And 
to get back to even your your point that you made about the fact that uh, on an individual or local community basis, um, re- religious people tend to have better like health outcomes. It's a community and thing. Yeah, it's a community thing. And I think some of it may also come down to, as humans, we have this... We've been making <laughs> value, v- value system myths since we've been able to talk to each other, since we've been created... Like, since we started creating stories, every single society up to the 17th, 18th century when the Enlightenment came around and this idea of atheism really started to, to happen and come along... Every single society basically came up with something like this. It is like a myth to explain the way the world is and how you should act in it. And that myth-making is something that is possibly psychologically beneficial on a local level, and even politically so. Think about the ancient Romans. The, the ancient Roman political system was partially a religious system. Like, their political, mm-hmm. their political rituals were also religious rituals. You know, they would make sacrifices to Jupiter, and they would, they would do all <laughs> these things. And, and they would have, like, augurs tell the fortune for the Roman state for the coming year for a military campaign that they were going on. And, like, that became baked into, into the culture and... As time has gone on and society has developed to a far more complex uh, uh, structure, (laughs) divorcing that has become a necessity because not everybody is a Roman pagan. And then (laughs) after that, not everybody is a Roman Catholic. Then you add Protestantism into it, which is just an infinite regress of like individual of like individual sects. And you can come up with a different interpretation of everything. And it's like as this drills down to the point where everybody can have an a, an idiosyncratic religious outlook, secularism becomes a very important value. It is to say that, okay, the state, which is about, uh, you know, a monopoly on the use of force and mm-hmm. uh, the common governance of all the people in the society, the state must not take a hand in religious matters it 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 is for the benefit and for the integrity of both systems mm-hmm. that church and state be separate and the united states were some of the first places where that became a thing and that was it was the first experiment in let's see what happens if we make this part of the rules yeah and and i i I sense i sense we're moving on to the separation of church and state i just want to get in before that sure I think a lot of that belief comes from the fact that our societies and systems of government aren't Ch- providing churches and beer halls. Could be. uh, I'm sorry if I cut you off. Churches and beer halls were, were the places of meeting. This is where everybody got together and they talked about the current issues of the day. So you can like, certainly see the religious influence on, on before things, the advent but, of the pub, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, pu- the public house, like churches and beer halls. <laughs> but I, I, but I, w- <clears throat> but I would agree that there is this need for most people to believe that there's something out there that can fix things when our own systems fail. So I don't know if you've if you've seen this, um, the number of people mm-hmm. who are identifying as non-religious has been increasing in the United States uh, in the past, you know, several decades. But it's also also the number of people mm-hmm. has been increasing mm-hmm. who believe in things yeah. like astrology 
or stone healing or, you know, things like this, which are no mm-hmm. better founded. It's just, it, you know, it's not your dad's religion. And I, I so uh, I think the need is still there. It's just true. a tastes rather than values sort of thing at this point. It's almost like we still have this desire within us to to have questions that we want answered answered yes and we have a lot of questions about sort of our place in the universe we want to know why things are the way they are and it's almost (laughs) like the the easiest explanation for that is a divine being of some sorts be you know regardless of the amount of influence that divine being would have on on the society (laughs) it's almost seen as uh, an answer to that question an answer to the idea that we're not alone in the universe Um, and and i'm a scientist believe me if if i thought i could get better results by wishing really hard yeah my goodness you couldn't stop me (laughs) that that's a fact and you can't you can't wish your way into better knowledge you have to go out there and grab it for yourself yeah very disney um you know disney musical kind of lesson (laughs) It, what's what's the phrase? If you're young and you're attractive, no need to be proactive. Ha! That's a good one. Uh. There, there's a great musical that's um, uh, kind of a... Uh, you know about Wicked? Uh, I know Wicked. Know, the, yeah, the, yeah, I know Wicked. The Wicked Witch of the West, told from her perspective. There's one online called Twisted, and it's the story from Jafar's perspective of, of Aladdin. Mm. And it's all about Jafar, who from what you can tell in the play is a scientist <laughs> more or less mm-hmm. trying to convince people no you have to actually do things if you want good things to happen to you and I, he's the only one willing I to love that. sacrifice I love that fan theory that Jafar was so actually good. the good guy in that movie because he's the only one holding things together if yeah. you look at the marketplace the market's booming you have a completely <laughs> inept sultan yeah. and it's just like he's pulling the strings he's making this all happen and it's just like mm-hmm. And he feels like he deserves more credit for it. And then Aladdin I've been proselytizing this musical constantly. I've seen I've seen it everywhere. And then, as you said, Aladdin comes in, flashes his bright smile, calls himself Prince Ali, rides in. Oh, he on a, he just wants a handout. Yeah, rides you know. in on a gilded elephant. And <laughs> <laughs> he didn't earn. He just sort of like he wished. Yeah, he wished, he wished really for it. it. And it works well he and he our, had a genie. our pop culture is full of this <laughs> where we oh uh, magic zoltar make me big like it's everywhere jesus take the wheel well, we what want this to be true this reminds me of one of my favorite jokes about genies and gins if you will that gin and gin are pronounced the same way and both are spirits mm-hmm. in a bottle <laughs> and there's good gin and there's bad gin and yeah <laughs> they don't get you what you want but they get you what you need <laughs> Uh, so I think we're all in agreement. Uh, yeah. America is a Christian nation, and that's the end of it. <laughs> no, oh, yeah, no. Oh, wait. The there... have to deal with. Oh, wait. There's more. Oh, man. I, f- I feel. All right. I'm bringing this up right now. Oh, the, Treaty of Trip- the Treaty of Tripoli. Article 11. Uh, for those of you. The only reason everyone's ever heard of Tripoli. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> back. This is sort of ended back in America's very early days we were on we were at war with the, the Barbary pirates mm. so this was the treaty that, <laughs> that ended this this affair Over the days when but, that was our biggest uh, priority yeah we were at war with these Barbary pirates and we signed a treaty to to put an end to that and article 11 of this treaty comes out and says I'll just give a paraphrase here well like an incomplete quote 
Well, right at the beginning, it says the government of the United States of America is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion. Like it says it like blatantly. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is where I come into problems debating about uh, the idea of America as a Judeo-Christian relig uh, religious mm -hmm. nation. Yeah. And I say we may have the, those religions, but the United States itself is not supposed to be a Christian-based mm -hmm. uh, legal system. It's not a Christian-based country. Yeah. And and this is the evidence that I present to them, which was, you know, <laughs> I mean, for crying out loud, you have George Washington and John Adams involved with with this. So, yeah, to get them to agree on anything. Well, sp right. speaking as a constitutionalist. The Treaty of Tripoli is, and that clause, as you just read, JT, as it has been ratified by the United States Senate in 1796, I think it was, that's the supreme law of the land, too. Article 6 hmm. of the Constitution lays out the basis on which that is true. It's, you know, the Constitution and laws of the United States uh, and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land. That is a, ratif oh, that is a ratified that. treaty under the United States. It went through the full process. It is the law of the land. Article 6 is a couple of nuggets that, that, that I love. <laughs> it also can... Uh, but, it's, <laughs> but it's not hiding in that Second Amendment, so it doesn't well, count. It, yeah, exactly. And, like, <laughs> the last... Well, I think I need another cup of wine. <laughs> While you get yourself set up there, I'll just add, like, another piece of Article 6 that you know, goes in tandem with the Treaty of Tripoli that is super important to me, and it already kind of came up. Um, it, it says, no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. And because of the 14th Amendment, that is applied to the states to the point where all those states that we mentioned earlier, their disqualifications for the non-believers for public office are moot, it's null, and show. void. An unenforceable yeah. performance law. It's there for show. Right. Yeah. Like... This, this is reminding me suddenly of, oh, who, who was it? It was like, it was Roy Moore's, I want to say it was one of his campaign managers or something along the lines. Uh, he was convinced that this one person who was being signed in, like, you know, who was elected to office, yeah. like, they can't possibly, it it's like, they can't possibly uh, take the oath of office because they're not going to swear in the Bible. And it's just like. No, that nowhere does it say you have to. Like, no. and he was dumbfounded, absolutely dumbfounded. No, if we can that find this the, was not a thing. If we can find the clip, we'll link to it because you can literally yeah. oh, see yeah, you can see his face, like the the cognitive dissonance yeah. wash away as he's hearing this, and it's like no, no, you can see I, it on his face. I literally per can't personally. If it was up to me, a person, <laughs> I can't believe an important person can go their whole life and that's just not occurring to them <laughs> i mean personally if it was up to me i'd if it was me getting elected in the public office i'd swear on the constitution yeah i mean it'd be like this is this is what i am here for a number of presidents have <laughs> i don't have the list with me but a number of pre presidents have basically done that like but like sworn on a mm -hmm. book of laws or things like that right. uh, article two the oath of office for the president doesn't include the words so help me god that is a completely optional you know addition but you know that's it's not yeah. a, that isn't a necessary element for taking fact, an oath you know in fact uh, in god we trust was not added to our currency or in uh 
under God was not uh, added to the Pledge of Allegiance until the 50s, and it was only done so to separate us from the quote-unquote godless communists. Mm -hmm. Like, it was Mm -hmm. done as an act of aggression, you know. When, um, you know, when I was a a bit more upset about the whole atheist in America kind of thing, that really bothered me. I'm like, how on earth can we even claim to have the First Amendment protections for and against religion if we have this on the currency and then over time i've become much more like um uh lewis black has this sketch where he says uh you know things are going great for a while and every few years somebody says why don't we bring up that under god thing again (laughs) (laughs) it's always good for a laugh because it just it never gets resolved somehow it it doesn't the the courts always find a way to like uh you know you shouldn't have brought us you shouldn't have brought this to us like, just so that they can kick the ball down the line to when politically it's it's more okay. I mean, it, pretty much all things that have to deal with religion in our politics, as long as they're pretty minimal, they're just not going to be taken up until such time as <clears throat> until such time as the citizenry is okay with it. Hmm. Yeah, like um, I mean, this is what happened with. Um, with JFK being Catholic, yeah, right? oh, absolutely, it was a huge oh, yeah. thing, and it's kind of unimaginable now that, you know, in the '60s, people thought, "Oh, a Catholic can't be trusted to be a government official." What was <laughs> that Pope? He's going to be more loyal to the Pope than the United States. That was the, that was the, that was the conceit. Yeah. Well, JF, JFK had his Catholicism, and Jimmy Carter had his peanuts. Yeah. I mean. They were both <laughs> like everybody was afraid that the fact that Jimmy Carter was a peanut farmer and that JFK was a Catholic was going to somehow influence their their policies. The, I, well, I, I've got something else about Jimmy Carter, but I just want to interject real quick. I'm more. Oh, I've got a tight five on oh, Jimmy sweet. Carter. Let's I not, can't wait. We all have plenty to say on Jimmy Every, Carter. That's going to be its own. It's like Bill Murray. Everybody's got a Jimmy Carter anecdote. Yeah, that was, that's Running a great motto. He just showed up and started building me a house. I don't know. <laughs> but I just, I just wanted to add. I'm more upset about the "In God We Trust" thing because it supplants a much better motto in my mind: "E, e pluribus yeah. unum." From many friggin' peanuts. It's, it, that, <laughs> exactly, it's it, it it does the job yeah. perfectly. It's a motto we need. <laughs> but like to get back to your point with J- uh, Jimmy Carter, peanuts and and evangelical Christianity. He was the perfect. Mm. No, I, I forget the name of the documentary. If I find it, I'll bring it up in the show notes. But uh, it. it it chronicles the history of um, the evangelical Christian political right, essentially. And their very first candidate that they backed was Jimmy Carter because he was such an outwardly pious Christian <laughs> and he used the rhetoric in his speeches and they dumped him hard because once he was because once he was actually in office, he didn't do all of the uh, the institutional distortions that they wanted he he stuck to his role as president and to the constitution and his conscience without legislating his beliefs on others so they they took a they they took a mulligan and reconsidered and then we got ronald reagan Hmm. i deign to speak ill of ronald reagan um i'm sure there there are people out there who (laughs) who still admire him in sort of a hagiographic uh way but you know 
as far as far I as think, religion I and think, politics goes, you know. I think if I had to look in a textbook from fifty years from now, a history textbook, and I'm not allowed to read anything that happens in our future, Reagan would have to be one of the most interesting things to read about from you know from that far in the future looking back at him because mm-hmm. people just sort of assume like oh yeah he was great but like why do people mm-hmm. think that <laughs> i've never gotten a good answer <laughs> i i think that i think that there's this love affair with ronald reagan that a lot of the the political mm-hmm. right has with him um i do i think he was a necessarily the best president I ever? Mean, no um <laughs> i've seen about the, one of the things i actually like yeah one of the things i actually liked about ronald reagan was his i would say his treatment and respect for his office because he refused to go into the oval office without a suit and tie he like would never put his feet up on the desk you know he, he took that almost that responsibility very seriously that's something I did like yeah. about his character. Um, as far as his policies go, it's a little bit different. but um, I, And his worst addiction was jelly beans. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. like jelly beans, I, I haven't too. gone through and looked at all of the things that happened under him, but I'm sure yeah, I could the, find I a mean, few the, There are some good things about Ronald Reagan, but, um, you know, I don't. I think it's something that the right really needs to do is rethink Ronald Reagan to actually look more objectively at his presidency it's like is this somebody we really love like it's it's hard to tell it's hard to tell i i think you guys should have a segment on your podcast called uh reagan tangent (laughs) and just because i'm sure it's going to keep happening on many surprisingly this is our first yes this is is first time the man first time the man has come up (laughs) Uh, but now that you've planted the seed we shall sow (laughs) Let's get that audio clip. Let's get we it going. We will show our peanuts. <laughs> Friggin' peanuts. Um, I love peanuts. So, yeah, there's, there's a number of different um, religious in politics issues that I think are worth getting into. I don't know what if, oh. if you guys had any things that you really wanted to touch Ooh, on. There, there's, um, there's so much. Well, just, just, I guess real quick I would just touch on another a point that I – I wanted to bring up on the question of the separation of church and state, and this can uh, sort of segue into what I think is going to be our next topic, which is that we had a very recent uh, Supreme Court case that is quite relevant to this conversation. But um, this point gets to that, and it is this, that at the founding of our country, there was a, a... frantic debate over the role that religious uh, pluralism would play in our society. The First Amendment was a result of it. Thomas Jefferson managed to get the Virginia statute on religious freedom enacted in his state. That became part of their constitution. And there was a great division on how exactly to treat the separation of church and state. There was one, uh, one way of looking at it, which was to say that there should be no exceptions. The law should just be, we take absolutely no stance on this. Like, James Madison didn't even think that the military should have chaplains. Like, like mm-hmm. that was up to the soldiers if they wanted to do their own prayers, but the, the federal government should not even mm-hmm. hire religious clergy because at that point, 
you would have to start carving out an infinite regression of exceptions for people. And when mm -hmm. do you draw the line? When does the state get to say that your belief is not sincere, your religion isn't real, you, it's not, like, when do they get to play that referee? And that's, like, that, that's the eternal tension. It's like the old, like, can I become the atheist chaplain? type of mentality yeah. <laughs> and, and they'd probably say no and it's like well like it's it's a belief <laughs> or lack thereof but is, is it really a protected yeah. you know can they take and, and, on the uh sort of that confidentiality that that chaplains have in the military is can they uh you know a chaplain is considered somebody you, you can go to to talk about your problems and there's a confidentiality about it. They can't tell anybody because of their, you know, it, it's sort of like uh, almost like seeking out uh, or seeking out a confession from a priest. They can't divulge. It's a, it's a differently, it's a differently trained psychiatrist. Right. And, and, uh, <laughs> but atheists need not apply to this position. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that, that is a very interesting point that you're bringing up about, mm -hmm. um, just where's like, where do we draw the line? Yeah. And, and then it gets into the creepy place of how does the government determine what is an acceptable, like what is a belief or practice that is constituted in your religion? Like, do you really want, yeah. do you really want it on the record that your religion is hostile to human rights when it comes to same sex couples and to uh, transgender people and anybody in those communities? Do you really want that to be, I'm sure that there are a lot of Christians who do not want that part of the record who disagree with that. And so if you're going to try to try court cases on that assumption, do you really want that? When does the government get to, you know, make that part of your religion? Like, it, it's just, it's such an absurdity to say that the state gets to have that say. It's just, no, I, I'm, I'm kind of with Madison on this one. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. And think about, think about the question, where do we draw the line? Because we're not drawing the line. Mm -hmm. Typically, the courts get to draw the line because yeah. evangelical you know evangelicals make up such a large proportion of the of the voting people this sort of thing is politically not something that any legislator wants to take mm -hmm. on and so it just sort of gets pushed down until the supreme court's rules you know okay they're a cult you know invade their compound or uh you know you can't force these people to do that it it keeps on getting pushed upstairs mm -hmm. yeah and that's a sticking point for me is that the courts are not the place to settle political issues. Like when we get <laughs> when we get a case like I think we're about to talk about it, Masterpiece Cake Shop versus the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. Let's talk this a is though. a this is a result of um, legislative cowardice because when when Congress refuses to speak on certain issues, and then situations arise like in the facts of that case, and it comes to the Supreme Court. It's really tricky to hope that the Supreme Court makes the political decision versus like mm -hmm. what and and then when they do make a political decision, then like how do you parse that with their actual role in the society? So well we've just broached the topic. Um, yeah, there it is. Yes, counselor, lay out the facts oh, of the case. Boy. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> 
Um, how can I put this? Well, okay, so... Uh, well, no, Zane, you're the one who kind of brought this this topic to yeah. us in the first place. And you, 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 you've Fair actually enough. been doing some due diligence, getting some opinions from... Uh, from your social media world, so I'd be interested to hear your initial thoughts on it because I can I can at least compose some more. I on, on the, on the I facts. find this fascinating for a number of reasons. Partly because, okay, so I'll lay out the facts of the case. So my understanding is about uh, five or so years ago, a gay <laughs> couple goes to a cake shop and says, "We would like a cake done for our wedding." The uh, cake artisan, as I believe they wish to be known. <laughs> Uh, says, um, I'm sorry, I'm a Christian, I don't support homosexual marriage, I will not make a cake for your gay wedding. Yeah, and and that's that's one of the things about this case, is it wasn't a gay wedding cake, like it wasn't be like glory be unto butt stuff. Wow, wow. (laughs) The sweetest of all of earthly pleasures, like he... he, he If you you ever put out a t-shirt, that's gotta be honest. You're selling that. (laughs) So like, it it, it wasn't like a gay cake, it was uh, like... I'm gonna take that out of context and use that audio clip everywhere. He inferred that it was for a gay wedding and that's where it came from, yeah. Yes. And so it, you know, they they say this is discrimination. He shouldn't be allowed to say, you know, that he's mm-hmm. refusing a service based on our sexual orientation. Um, the way that this it eventually got to the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. and the way that the Supreme Court right. ruled, it was seven two. So this wasn't a, you know, strictly liberal conservative. Yeah, it wasn't a five four like you usually see. Yeah. And as you say, you know, they don't like to play politics. So they said this is a very narrow ruling. It pretty much only works in this one mm-hmm. case, and it shouldn't be taken out of context for future mm-hmm. stuff. But basically what they said is the guy who made the cakes, we'll call him the cake master, um, had been treated hostilely by the former courts, the, the lower courts, who uh, said that they didn't respect his proclamation of religiosity. They didn't respect his beliefs. Uh, and so it was unfair that he be denied this, and so they said that he can refuse them service. Now, in general, this is not something that I'm, you know, hugely in favor of because, you know, when you discriminate against people in terms of the services you provide, that leads to a lot of, of troublesome predicaments. We all remember reading about in the civil rights era, restaurants were refusing service to black mm-hmm. people. I don't think this situation matches that for a number of reasons. Any one of which, if they changed, I'd be I'd be on the side of the two dissenters. Um, yeah, no, this is important. I feel this like I've important. been talking a long sure, time, yeah. but <laughs> no, that's fine. No. Um, I, I, I have I have a couple of thoughts, but I want to hear what you guys. Well, I can fill in some of the gaps in the facts because you just jogged my memory. So what it came down to is, okay, so that form of discrimination is illegal under Colorado state law. And they have the Colorado Civil Rights Commission that um, that that settles those cases. And it's before it got to the later courts like this is the commission that handled that case. And uh, yeah, the contention in the Supreme Court ruling is that along the way there were like public record on the record statements by some of the members of the commission that may have given the impression that he that the cake maker didn't really have uh yeah that they were from the beginning hostile to his religious beliefs and so because (laughs) they were mean to him uh then that's sort of like a technicality that invalidates that very specific 
uh, yeah. decision of theirs. They were clearly biased is the, is yeah. the sense of And, it. like, there's one quotation that is cited in the opinion that is what gives this its weight. And it's, like, a single quotation. It is... It, it was made after the decision was rendered. Like, this was a, a later uh, meeting of the commission. Like, this wasn't... Nothing was really on the line at this point, but it... Like, the... The member of the commission made a comparison between... Well, you can't say that freedom of religion is a valid argument here because, you know, r- religious liberty is what justified slavery and the Holocaust was another thing that they brought up. Mm-hmm. And it's like... I can see on a weird level, I, I can see on a certain level why that could give you the sense, but at the same time, the facts of the case don't suggest to me that that really changed the, the outcome at all. And I, like, I think the lesson in this for future, for future situations like this is if the Colorado Civil Rights Commission just kind of like kept its mouth shut and pretended to be like, completely impartial in that madisonian way then there wouldn't then there wouldn't (laughs) have been a basis for this to be overturned and like it didn't invalidate colorado's laws against discrimination on sexual orientation it didn't do anything like that it's like it 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 gave this guy a freebie on on discriminating against but only this guy now i do think that it is like the responsibility of us knowing that this person refuses to sell to uh, homosexual couples, um, that's our responsibility as a citizenship to not go there, yeah. <laughs> to not shop there. Like, Let's that's, make that clear. Uh, well, the, uh, yeah, the that, unfortunate corollary of that is uh, a person who denies gay people service can, you know, get kickstarted for hundred, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in our modern era where things are so no, polarized. Yeah. So uh, that the incentives are pretty misaligned these another days. Another potential, it, but sorry, you no, were saying it's. It's almost like um, I think the real problem that I have, like, I'm glad this case was as narrow as it was, mm-hmm. because it, let, let's say hypothetically that the other side had one mm-hmm. um, and think where this could go in terms of case law. Maybe not the next Supreme Court case or the following one, but three or four after this where this is used as precedent. Let's say it was like a very broad thou shalt sell to the, this couple no matter what. Um, does it really change this person's beliefs? Like, does it get them out into the open? And is this really the government taking an economic standpoint and saying <laughs> you are required to sell to this person? Mm-hmm. Like, what about somebody who, like, we were talking about using religious discriminate, like, you know, religious beliefs to justify the Holocaust? Mm. Let's say somebody took that standpoint and then went to a shop and was refused service. Like, what would this Supreme Court case tell us? It's like, you have to sell to that person, that bigot? It's... It's a really tough case, um, but which is why I'm glad it was so narrow in scope. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Because I, I don't, I don't like to see <laughs> discrimination in our, our buying and selling. I don't like mm-hmm. to see discrimination in the marketplace and just between people. I don't like to see it. Right. But I also don't want the government to pretty much come in and tell me I have to sell to somebody regardless of what I think of their religious beliefs. 
So this is this is why it's so interesting to me because of all of the religious discrimination cases that have been brought. You know, you think of like Hobby Lobby mm-hmm. uh, not providing their employees uh, birth control or yeah. something under yeah. under the healthcare plans, something to that effect. This is kind of the only situation I can think of where I'm on the side of the <laughs> religious liberty argument because, um, for one, it's not it's not a basic level need that they're selling. It's not food. It's not shelter. It's not a utility. It's cake for a yeah, wedding, which is it's inherently extravagant. Yeah, it's a luxury item. It's an inherently extravagant yeah, event. Yeah. And, I, you know, again, if and if it was the only place in town to get this, again, you know, if, if you hold a, an essential monopoly over something, then, yeah, I think you should be forced to give it to anyone who's buying it. But that's not the case. As someone who's, you know, I didn't, really do much to help plan for my own wedding but i know how (laughs) you know i know that there's options (laughs) or or for me what gets to the heart of it is my understanding based on my reading is this person's religious beliefs were sincere that doesn't buy you much but it buys you a little Mm -hmm. because if you're going to fight a court case for five years at some point it's easier to just make a cake (laughs) Um, <laughs> You're right. Yeah. I think it was. I, I, th- I think they. It was honest belief. But here's the thing. My reading of the case, I could be wrong, was that they denied the couple service, not because they were gay, but because of the homosexual wedding. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not who they were. It's what they're doing. Yeah. And so I'm thinking. I'm trying to find a good analogy in my head. And nothing. Nothing's really one to one. But the thing that that propped up in my head was let's say i run a print shop Mm -hmm. right so i make i make flyers i make banners what have you and a guy comes in and i know him from the community that he's a member of the kkk Mm. and i don't like him but if he comes to me and says hey you know i'm having a i'm having a fundraiser or i'm having a barbecue or something you know will you print me some pamphlets i don't see why not if it's a kkk event absolutely i should be able to refuse him but it's it's the difference between a person and what they're doing that I think makes the bigger distinction and and part of why this case is so interesting to me because if any one of these little things were different I might feel completely differently but as it stands I kind of feel like it was the right call by the Supreme Court. Mm. Yeah, yeah, like every bit of the, you know, For the record, I'm not happy about it. Yeah, I want someone it, to disabuse me. It's a reluctant <laughs> it's a reluctant it's just like but this man, is where my I, logic is leading me. It's like, man, I am super pissed at this, but damn it, I kind of agree with you. This is an application like, I, I, of the legal yeah, principle I, of you're not wrong, you're just an asshole. Thank you. We need like that, that that's how <laughs> and, I feel about it. And it's like I I will I would want to see people out there, you know, boycotting this guy's shop. Yeah. I want to see people yeah. putting this guy out of business because I sure. I can't stand we, his bigotry and his yeah, refusal to do this. Are th- the but, protections are there for people we don't like. Yeah. That's the that's, point. That's the thing. Like, that's how this republic works, is that we have these laws to protect everybody. If it, and if it can protect a scumbag like that, mm-hmm. then the rest <laughs> of us don't really have much to worry about. Well, the, the interesting thing that I saw is, after the fact, he, he said, listen, it wasn't because of who they were. It was because of what they were doing. I wouldn't make... I would refuse a cake for somebody who made... Uh, an anti-gay or a bigoted 
who wanted a bigoted kid. Even that more actually, so. That was part yeah. of the uh, the reasoning in this decision is that he was treated in a different way from other people who were in this mm-hmm. position. There's one other case. I forget. Eh, I'm failing at my citations. I'll get better at that as, as time goes <laughs> oh, well, on. I'm, I'm several drinks deep. <laughs> and by the way, apologies to your listeners. I cannot <laughs> hold. Was, I've never been able to hold my alcohol. <laughs> you know, you're doing a great job. You're, 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 we're, we're doing fine. We're doing pros, fine. You know. I'm, um, I'm, I'm going. I'm on momentum. There was a very similar, <laughs> well, uh, I guess a, not very similar, but a similar case in which there was a an evangelical Christian activist who solicited multiple cake shops to make a cake that depicted a Bible with the like the biblical citations against homosexuality like oh. painted on it. And it's Whoa. like, that was a literal anti-gay cake. Yeah. And like this was a like uh, this was a case that it was compared to in part of the majority opinion, right. and like that that's an right. interesting thing to it's, think about. But, it's yeah. it's almost like the old argument is like if you say you cannot do something because of your religion, you you have my support. Mm-hmm. But if you tell somebody else you cannot do that because of my religion, that's when I will fight you. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It's it, religion um, should be a very personal thing. It should not be about changing other people, right. and, and, that, and its use as a political cudgel is one of my biggest that's, problems. That's the th- that, I think that's the big difference between America and Europe. Europe, uh, a person's religion is a very, very private thing. Like they, they don't come out and you know, talk about it and get in people's faces about it. Um, you you don't see that in Europe. In America, like we have televangelists that you know are saying jesus wants you to buy me this 56 million dollar <laughs> private aircraft blows my mind and i'm just like <laughs> what blows my mind is that they get the support and i'm sorry but mega churches and casinos are built and they when mega churches and casinos are built they're built for the same reason they're not built with people winning in mind oh, no never heard it's, that it's comparison that, before we said we said that there's this need for people to be a part of a community or to believe something mm-hmm. just like there is you know there's that addictive nature in all of us we all have the capacity for that and that's what they're mm-hmm. that's what they're praying oh, on pr- praying on um, especially like one way to put it i guess is that <laughs> there's the sheep and the, 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 there is the wolf in sheep's clothing but how much how much better do you think he'll perform if he dressed like a shepherd yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah. I just looked out my window and there's a wicked storm on the horizon. Ooh. So if I lose power, okay. If you Oof. if you fall out, we'll uh, we'll cope. We'll know why. We'll assume that you were struck by lightning. Exa- hey, perfect <laughs> for your blaspheming. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of uh, wolves dressed as shepherds, uh, I guess we can talk a bit mm-hmm. more about uh, the some of the more some of the other political topics that get enmeshed in religious reasoning. Uh, Zane, did you have anything else that you wanted to, uh, to bring up? You know, you know? I'm, I'm never going to pass up an opportunity to talk about abortion. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a tough topic prime, to talk about. Prime dinner, dinner table topic. This, you know? this is, this is always fascinating to me because if you look at uh, public opinions on, uh, or at least a couple of years ago, um, gay marriage, and abortions, 
incredible like correlation between how people feel on those two issues and they shouldn't have anything to do with each other well the thing they have in relation is the religious reasoning like I, is, and that's the thing it tells you just how much it's informing our it discourse is. and I, I'm just gonna get real for a moment like in my early political awakening maybe like 15 years ago 10 15 years before I started to veer into you had an abortion well, I mean <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want oh, to. Oh no, please. I mean, it's we're okay. here for you. We, we don't we don't judge. It's a t- it's, judge. it's a difficult time. It was a, di- a very difficult time, you know, I but anyway, uh, I I was kind of one of those politically performative religious assholes. I didn't really understand the religion that I thought mm-hmm. that I was as a, I was expounding, but I wore it as a skin of being a conservative Republican. It was before I really developed the critical thinking skills to, to, to really make up my own mind on that. And it was amazing to see how many of those opinions melted away when, <laughs> when what I thought was a religious belief went away too. And it, that, that really brings it home that that is what those topics really have in common. It's very hard to make a coherent argument against a woman's right to choose her own reproductive cycle and for two consenting adults to fall in love and to enter into a marriage, which is a stable, you know, social institution that conservatives should be willing to open up to more people because fewer and fewer people of our age especially are getting married. Zane you know mazel tov about you know, <laughs> oh thank you. you you mentioned um, a wife but the, uh, you know the the performative aspect of it is interesting and i i feel you know i don't want to doubt anyone's beliefs uh, or how they are related with their political or religious beliefs but it does feel a bit like oh the boss isn't coming in today we don't even have to pretend to be working right mm-hmm. now right. <laughs> kind of thing well, yeah. We um, can frame it just, in, just, a, in, in, in a more straightforward way. Like you, well, we all know the stereotype, and we've seen the story in over and over again of the outwardly pious evangelical Republican Christian who we end up finding, you know, down on his knees in a <laughs> in, in a rest stop, you know, indulging in the same behavior that he is so happy to go out into public and, you know, preach fire and brimstone against like, right. like, like that uh-huh. kind of performative aspect of I, it. It's like, that's just like, it's tragic and revolting. And the effect that it has on the discourse, is just like, you people need to like chill. I, I like <laughs> one. I think one of the big things that really bothers me about the abortion debate mm-hmm. is that most of these laws that are made and passed uh, outlawing abortion or pulling funding from those that provide abortion, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They're all made by a bunch of old white guys. <laughs> all of them. Like they're all made by old white guys who have who are unable to carry a child. They are unable to go through the pain of childbirth. They don't know what it's like, and yet they are making laws to pa- like to ban such acts. And I'm just like, there's. It, they should stay out of this. It's it's not their decision to make. Some of them virgins too. Like I, I recall. Yeah. Well, no. Like <laughs> clergy. Yeah. I, I remember when clergy were being cons- like. There was a congressional panel on this topic. Uh, what was it? Maybe like ten years ago or so, or something like that. Where like there wasn't a single woman on the board 
on that panel, and like half of them were priests. What do they know about women's reproductive health? <laughs> the, like they have nothing more than their religious ideology. Like at that point, it's right. Yeah. So, so I've um, you know, I've looked at the issue. You know, I've I've taken a, a bioethics course and I've looked at the issue from a philosophical standpoint and a scientific standpoint and a political and a religious standpoint. And I, 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 I still find it fascinating as a, as an issue, but I don't think you need to believe Uh-oh. anything or have any Zane, value judgment to come down on come the, the following conclusion. Zane. <laughs> so, sorry. There's a bit of, Oh, that's fine. All right. So, there, so, there, so, there yeah, so if you could just repeat uh, that point because you did cut out. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I've, I've, I've looked into this and I don't, I don't think that you need to believe anything in particular about this on, from a moral or religious standpoint to recognize the data. And mm-hmm. what the data says is banning abortions does not decrease the rate of abortions. No. It makes it more dangerous. No. And that's the only thing you need to understand <laughs> to tell you how this should be legislated. Yeah. When <laughs> we pull... of, And I actually cons- I'm I'm actually you know, I'm I'm pretty far left on a lot of things. This is something where I actually can see both sides, mm-hmm. and I still say this is the only thing you need to to recognize. <laughs> when when we pull the funding from things like Planned Parenthood and stuff like that, it's not we are not only getting rid of the abortion side of it; we are getting rid of the other services that make up a, a majority of the business that they do. So We're taking away access to birth control to contraceptives and because of that you're going to see a rise in unplanned pregnancy and thus a greater demand for abortions Mm -hmm. so it's like they're fueling the same thing that they want to fight and it's that's not only cognitive dissonance if there's cognitive yeah it's like (laughs) they're they actually have found um oh what was the book freakonomics uh, oh, yeah, the book yeah. Freakonomics, I was actually looking at de- how de- uh, increased uh, access to uh, abortion clinics and, you know, women's health clinics that provide abortions. Actually, de- <laughs> they made the stipulation that it actually causes a decrease in the crime level because of yeah. the, the effect on now you have access to things that would otherwise have cost an exorbitant amount of money uh, being provided effectively for free. Uh, and it, I, I think we need to take on sort of that responsibility to to the people for their health and well-being. And if you don't want to see abortions, then increase the uh, mm-hmm. access to birth control. Yeah. Then you won't see ever, it. Sorry. Yeah. Has there ever been as effective a um, remedy for poverty as women's freedom? Exactly. Of of. Yeah. of, of just in general, but also of their reproduction. It's yeah. It's I, I was about to bring up a bizarre. very similar point. Like I, I was going to paraphrase. You know, Hitchens already came up once. Let's bring him up again. I, I, I'm going to paraphrase <laughs> a point that he made as, and he made it as eloquently as uh, as possible. And I am like destined to fuck it up. The be- <laughs> the best the best thing that you can do for a society, not not just for the women, but the entire society, is to give women the right to control their own biology, to 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 take them off of the animal cycle of reproduction, to give them that, to to enshrine that biological and individual right to their own to mm-hmm. control their own health. Like that does wonders for a society. And I guess we can another point that I wanted to add that builds off of what we were just uh, what you guys were so. Um, you know, wonderfully talking about is 
Planned Parenthood does a hell of a lot more than perform abortions. Like, I mean, sure. they give, they do pap smears. I yeah, mean, women, testing for cancer, like women's health uh, overall. And there are many reasons besides wanting to have safer sex to take birth control. Like I know people who take it for like hormonal balance reasons. Like, right. Pe people don't necessarily have to be sexually promiscuous or sexually active generally to benefit from taking hormonal birth control and to, to remove that nuance. I, I mean, a, a quotation that I absolutely love is uh, Albert Maisel's uh, filmmaker. I think he made uh, uh, Gimme Shelter. And uh, when I, uh, but he said, uh, tyranny is the deliberate removal of nuance. And I think that that, that, uh, that applies perfectly in this situation as, you know. That it does. I, I do recall in early, back when Hobby Lobby were, you know, was a, was a relevant reference and when that was still a, like a, a a new thing and a a, a current event rush limbaugh i mean I, I don't want to give him the clout to say that he had any point whatsoever but like <laughs> the way that he was framing the issue is so perf Stop perfectly clock. unnuanced it, it, it was like <laughs> he, he he's been so like that's quite the compliment he's been, wow. so, he, he's been so like his thinking has been so marred by the concept of Viagra that he assumed that every single time you wanted to have sex, you would take a birth control pill. Like it wasn't a, like it wasn't about that hormonal regulation. It was like, oh, I'm about to have promiscuous sex. Better take my pill. Like it's like that is just such like you're not just wrong. You're not even wrong. like it, it, it's like it, it's like <laughs> it, it's like fractal wrongness. You're barely awake. <laughs> the way I'd put it is, it's fractal wrongness. It's wrong from every possible like. Every possible like way of looking at it, it's just every possible angle you are wrong. Yeah, exactly, and um, you know what? I, I love seeing Dan get worked up. This yeah, is my favorite part yeah, of any podcasting. Yeah, experience. this is great. <laughs> I love it when we all get worked up. I mean, okay, you know what? I am super excited for right now. They're trying to develop a male birth control pill, which I am hoping to see in our lifetime. Yeah, and I, make I, it a soda. Yeah. I think this Come is on. great. This is great. Hard. Interested to see how that works. <laughs> yeah, I would love to learn how that works. Yeah. I mean, considering that you know vasectomies can reverse themselves, I know I actually know a guy whose wife got pregnant, and after he had had a vasectomy, and it was his kid, they found out. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> oh, and it's like this is a punchline. It, it that we were leading up. Sure I know, but it. I, I'm. <laughs> Very certain. I'm about a hundred percent certain. Which usually I say I'm ninety nine point. Usually not, I say ninety nine point nine 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 percent. I am one hundred percent certain. Uh, <laughs> oh, but yeah, it's because this vasectomy naturally reversed itself. Mm. Yeah. Um, so it's like yeah, nothing is going to be one hundred percent. But I am super excited to see uh, this now being the concentration. Uh, it's almost uh, it. For years and years and years now, since the 40s, when the Nazis first developed the birth control pill for the, as part of their eugenics project, they're now, uh, it, it's always been on the women to take the birth mm. control pill. Yeah. It's never been on the men. And I am super excited to see mm. male birth control uh, in, the version, in the form of a pill. At the risk of sounding controversial, I think you're giving a little too much credit to the Nazis. Let's not forget, <laughs> let's not forget Percy Julian and his contributions. I, I, I really can't stand giving the Nazis any credit any <laughs> uh, at all, but 
if it weren't for the Nazis, we would not have had the sexual revolution of the 1960s. We stole a like, lot of useful science from them, and we don't like to talk about where we got it from. I know we don't we don't like to address oh, that, and it's like yes, we have to address that. Outside, and... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like yes, we have to address the fact that the Nazis developed the birth control pill, like with the intention of giving it to those they have viewed as inferior races I didn't, to control their didn't, population. I didn't know that. But one thing You didn't know this. I didn't wow. know that specific but I, I can I can throw out a similar uh, point of controversy which is far less relevant. I I recall <laughs> back in my back in those days one of the counter arguments we would have about abortion is that did you know that planned parenthood was a eugenics program? It was designed, it was, in, it was originally, like, the person who founded Planned Parenthood was interested in um, providing easy access to abortion for African Americans because you yeah. can't have too many of them around. And it's right. like, that, yeah. that is so not the case now that it's ridiculous. I know. It, it's, it's like calling the Republicans the party of Lincoln. It's like, it's such a... It's, it's <laughs> or saying that the or saying that the Democrats were the party of slavery, like that is so like antiquated and moot at this point in history that it's like it's yes, it's, I I know how to play with words as well. <laughs> it's T- like, times yeah. change, yeah. and eighty seven percent of statistics are made up on the spot. <laughs> I need a citation, well, gentlemen. For that. I- Gentlemen, I I know that we're starting to run out of time, but I do have a couple other topics I want to touch Please, on. Please, you are um, our I guest. Have here, I have here on my list uh, some of the following. Let me know what what appeals to you. We have the topic of burkas. Ooh. Oh, um, boy. we have we have pastafarians, <laughs> and we have uh, Scientology. Which which third rail would you like to touch first? <laughs> Uh, third rails are like you know live electrical circuits. I don't like to touch any of them. <laughs> oh well, that's you. You're in the wrong line of work, my friend. <laughs> well, I guess oh, pastafarianism yeah. might be the safer option to to, to, we could, to we spend a minute on. Any of them. Right? Yeah, we yeah, could, we can well, talk about any of them. Well, pasta. You know, yeah. this is this this is the flip side of um you know the the baker who had very clearly held religious beliefs. This is some. A pastafarian is somebody who says, okay, there are all these protections for religious groups. Uh, I'm going to make up a religion, and I'm going to worship the flying spaghetti monster. And since a religious head covering is allowed in a number of circumstances, I'm going to have a colander on my head. (laughs) It's very clearly made up. Mm -hmm. I don't doubt that there's at least 10 people in the U.S. who believe it whole hog. (laughs) <laughs> they they missed the point more they missed the point that it was sarcasm yeah <laughs> yeah they just they weren't paying attention they're like oh what are yeah, we doing, doing it to prove a point and they're also playing with the same problem that i brought up earlier which is like when does the government get to decide what's a religion well they're dealing in bad faith yeah but I, I agree. Right. It is not clear what a religion should be. It seems like there should be some sort of math problem where you multiply how old it is times how many followers, but that's not good either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's no like strict definition of what is a religion. Mm-hmm. There's it's a definition that's always in flux, and yeah, this was clearly created as a, a made up religion. It, they made it up out of a you know just out of a thought. And then, but do we need to afford them the same protections? That's that's the real question. That there. brings up a case that that I have written down here, and it's something that comes from my backyard. 
It's another Supreme Court case. Uh, I think it was like 20... In the 2010s, it was Town of Greece v. Galloway. And the contention there is that the Town of Greece ha- opens its town meetings with a uh, like a convocation. It's like a prayer, you know, a public public thing. And non-religious people went to those meetings and objected to the fact that they were doing that. They, you know, they contended that it was a an unconstitutional, um, you know, violation of the First Amendment. You know, not everybody is, you know, down with the idea of public prayer. It's a government institution. They shouldn't be doing this. And so it ended up going to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ended up deciding that ceremonial prayer, when it is non-sectarian and when the government does not play favorites and yeah they don't play favorites they don't elevate one faith over another and as like as long as they don't keep a list of religions (laughs) then that will be fine so it ended Hmm. up going in the town of greece's favor now the town has to allow people to come in no matter what their faith background and like you can get on the list to end up you know, giving the opening prayer and like whatever you want it to be, it could like you, you could be like you could be from like the Freedom from Religion Out Foundation or another atheist group, and if you make it onto the, and the problem with this is that Scalia specifically made it a point <laughs> of saying, well, the government shouldn't be in the in, in the business of keeping lists of approved religions, so as long as that doesn't happen, this should be fine. And so the town of Greece got so inundated after that decision with. <laughs> probably frivolous applications mm-hmm. to give the convocation that they they started keeping a list <laughs> it's it's one of those things where nobody's really happy about the outcome yeah, yeah but yeah. it's like that gets into like should a pastafarian be able to come to the town of greece and give like the opening convocation to our noodle, to, oh. to our noodly overlord like <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, yeah. cuz there's you know i i think i think what it comes down to a lot of the time is our the leaders of the religion uh, abusing their followers. Mm-hmm. And then it falls pretty much under regular abuse laws, so it's it's hard to say that it's even a religious matter at all. But it's, you know, you look at something like Scientology, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, in fear of being doxxed, I won't say too much, but clearly a cult. <laughs> if we have, if there's any cult, there it is. Right. Uh, but then you get into something like Mormonism, and it's not so clear anymore. Mm-hmm. At least not anymore. Back right, in the, the day, maybe. Mormonism? That's a hard question. Um, JT, do you have any thoughts on that? So with with Mormonism, like Mormonism, Scientology. I would almost debate I mean, that if Mitt that he, Romney uh, were elected president, it's like, can he truly be the uh, the commander in chief of the armed forces? If but yeah, like through because of his faith uh, requires him yeah, to be that a pacifist. Thing again. Like, is that going to affect the way he uh, executes his office? And if he takes the, it, it could go, you know, several ways. And if he takes the Jimmy Carter approach, it's like my country is more important than my faith at this, due to my position, due to my elected position. And I have mm-hmm. to see things objectively now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I don't think I don't think you have to be religious or not to be able to fail in that uh, attempt, <laughs> as right. we've seen recently. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's um, it's one of those things that is up for debate. Um, personally, I don't think it would have played too much in, of a factor, uh, considering that he, 
Right. If he wasn't willing to make that sacrifice, he wouldn't have mm-hmm. run to begin with. Yeah, you, you have um, no mm-hmm. business being president unless you're willing to right. make those hard decisions. You know? Right, which, which is why I don't I think, think it I think, so I think, so, you know, I've read cases about, you know, there's a compound out in somewhere in Utah and the feds go in and there's a guy who has like a dozen wives and they're all, you know, teenagers or something. And it's it's very clearly not a legitimate practice regardless of what it says in the, you know, quote-unquote holy books. But I think mainstream Mormonism, there's more of an argument that it's in line with some of the other faiths. So I I agree. I think it has to do more with the behavior than the beliefs Mm -hmm. because if you take any of these books literally, you're going to have a rough time adapting to modern society. And you bring up the case of polygamy. Like, on the other side of exception-making, the Supreme Court reserves the right and in certain cases has, you know, interpreted the First Amendment to not apply to certain religious practices that are very much against mm-hmm. the law and are against the law for non non established arbitrary yeah, for, for, for like non-religious reasons like snake biting there, and, and, and there's one there's one <laughs> test that the Supreme Court applies to such laws it's the lemon test it comes from the case of lemon v Kurtzman 1971 uh, I, I couldn't tell you the the facts of the case off the top of my head but I can tell you when a law that affects religious practice is constitutional, and it is constitutional if, and all these have to be true for it to be constitutional, <laughs> it has a secular purpose. So, like, as a social institution, polygamy is not a sustainable thing. That's the assumption that, that our laws kind of base off of. We can, oh, we can have— The times they are hey, a change. we can have that conversation another day. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you— the old, uh, the old 31st Amendment. I don't amendment. know if you all swing, but, you know, but anyway— <laughs> If it has a secular purpose, so it's like polygamy isn't illegal because Mormons do it. It's for it's illegal for other reasons that are secular. Neither advance neither advances nor inhibits a religion. Polygamy isn't a necessary is not a necessary component component of Mormonism, so it doesn't necessarily right. inhibit that or nor promote it. And it does not foster excessive government entanglement in a religion. If all of those are true, then a law that, you know, that governs what could otherwise be considered a religious practice is constitutional. So, for example, there are religious sects that want to use peyote as a as a as like a psychonautic, like spiritual right. And that that's illegal. And that gets into like you can't have a human sacrifice or anything like that, and you know, right? <laughs> but you can have animal sacrifices, right? Um, I think that's the case in a in some jurisdictions. I, I think some jurisdictions, like sometimes people want to make the case that uh, like kosher slaughter cannot be like sanitary, and it, it like, oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah, I, yeah. I, and I think like that's a kind of a gray area. I'm not sure of where the law stands on that. But I think generally speaking. Yeah. It's tough because that that's a requirement of the religion is that Mm -hmm. when you eat, you have to have, you have to eat kosher. You have to eat halal. Yeah. yeah. Halal meat too. You know, exactly. Mm. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's, that's as good a set of standards as I've heard. Um, those fringe cases, those those gray areas are, of course, interesting. But uh, you know, I've heard worse, and it, it seems to f- it seems to fit in with the general idea of our laws, which is you can't adjudicate what people think 
you can change what they do as long as it's you know harmful for other reasons than just they're believing things that are weird mm-hmm. you right. know with weird with a big air quotes because who decides exactly yeah who gets to decide that yeah. yeah we're not here to judge others by what they believe but just how they take those beliefs into the world and how they treat other people because of their beliefs mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and and i think the i think the fact that um when it comes to religion, a lot of legislature has to deal with be, because there are so many different religions and they're so they have such political influence. The issue of harm really does come up more than it does for some other laws, and so you have something. Uh, uh, I, I I think of the the burqa debate or or you know general coverings mm. for um, some Muslim women. You re- when you're figuring out what cases work and which ones don't, it comes down to an issue of harm. You know, is this something that those people that, that people want? Is, is it being uh, uh, chosen free from uh, what, what's the word? Um, compulsion. You know, what yeah. compulsion? Yeah. You know, coercion. those sort of issues and Co- coercion. Yeah, coercion. Yeah. And as long as those factors are at the forefront of these decisions, I think. You know, it's a long, hard road. I think the courts have gotten it right more often than not, and I think it's fascinating that it always does fall to the courts. Mm-hmm. There yeah. you go. There you have it. And that's, and that's, that's where I'm at. where she... And, and that's all she wrote. That's right. that, That's the phrase <laughs> I was go. looking for. That's all she wrote in those hey, I gotta books. Say, and I, we've hit everything on hey, my I, list, so I am <laughs> pleased as And punch. this Jesus juice was delicious. Thank you for this bringing was. that to our I, attention. I am sweating. And, and there's... <laughs> There it is. Do we have any, any oh. last statements we want to say before oh, the man. Illuminati get us? I, I don't recall recording a moment of clarity. Like, what's this about? I can't believe it's already sounded. Like, oh, wait. Zane, you've been, you, you've been, you've been yes. in a recording capsule provided by the Illuminati. How was your detention? Oh, I didn't even notice. What detention? No, I've, I've been chosen. I, this is a good thing. It's, it's, it, consider it an honor. And you, you better consider it an honor or they will have something I, to say. An honor and a privilege. Uh, well, uh, I'll give Zane the last word. There's just one last thing I wanted to point out. Back to the performative mm. uh, aspect of political religion, religiosity. Matthew 6, verses 1 and 2. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. So, it's a private matter, and that's that's where the state should keep it. You know, it's... um... I'm so glad that I got to come on and talk to you guys um, because I'm I'm an atheist who loves to talk about religion and that's generally met with skepticism. Um, <laughs> and a bitter stroke and, but, of irony. But then, <laughs> but then you get those Bible verses and there's so much there to, to chew mm-hmm. on and I really enjoy it. So so thank you for that opportunity. Thanks for, uh, both thanks of you. for being on the show. We loved so, having hey, you here. Yeah, um, JT, Zane, any final thoughts? That, I think uh, we... I think we hit uh, everything that I was going to bring up. All right. We hit on a lot of stuff. Um, I, you know, any or all points I'm willing to discuss further with anyone who who writes in. Um, I'm 
personally just glad that we all finally put a firm uh, declaration of where we stand on the Israeli-Palestinian <laughs> uh, wars. <laughs> uh, have that nice and in stone oh, for future reference by any and all peoples. And, <laughs> and with that... Uh, and I guess I'll uh, I'll just plug uh, plug a couple. Please of things. tell us everything that you're involved yes. in and where people people can uh, find it. Yeah, so if uh, if people are interested in hearing me talk about things that aren't important, <laughs> uh, the Carton Cast, uh, spelled like carton of eggs, and then cast <laughs> like podcast. I don't know how it got that way, but you know sometimes sometimes these things are just grandfathered into the way things are. And um, uh, I also run the uh, superpower podcast Empowered, um, and that is literally anyone who wants to be on can be on. Send me a clip. (laughs) (laughs) The bar is real low, guys. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and that's that's me. Thank you both so much for having me on. You're welcome. Glad to have you. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on, Zane. And we hope to uh, we hope to talk to you again. And we hope to talk to your brother Ben. We should get in touch with him soon. I know he wanted to want to join us here, but uh, I I do warn you, he doesn't know anything about politics. That's okay. That's okay. Um, that, that's going to be an interesting. In one of his most endearing traits, he has just not engaged with that at all. <laughs> so, if you dear dear listeners uh, have any questions, comments, gripes, complaining concerns or minor ethical crises or existential dilemmas you'd like to send us, you can reach us at cocktailpartycongress at gmail.com. Any dark nights of the soul you want to report after this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, you could definitely uh, join the conversation there. Uh, Let us know if Zane said anything below board. We would love to hear it. And it'll give us a reason to have him back. There we go. And as always, our uh, opening music is Dark Sea Land by Kevin McLeod. You can find that track and more royalty-free tracks at incomputech.com. Well, Zane. And JT. Yeah. This has been a beautiful experience. I feel feel morally enlightened, uplifted. Other words. otherworldly that that's just the booze talking that's, yeah that is so um <laughs> it's it's a pretty strong one and in a break from tradition i would say but like in our what few episodes that we've been on by the time uh, you hear this we are, be in the double digits yeah <laughs> okay there that. we go uh we are going to have zane present us our moment of clarity in Dun, dun. There we in go. Vino Veritas. I assume the Law and Order theme plays. <laughs> in Vino Veritas, Dan and Zane. In Vino Veritas. It is impossible to be right about everything. The world is vast, and we hold contradictions within ourselves just to get through the day. Such as, there's no free will, but my actions still matter. Or, The pain of this world is dwarfed by the beauty of heaven, but I still seek momentary pleasures. The authors of the Bill of Rights understood this paradox. There's no right to the truth provided there, no right to be right. Rather, we're promised the ability to discuss our beliefs, to investigate and disseminate truths, to gather together with like-minded individuals, and to complain to the government if we think they've gotten it wrong. But stated first, before those protections, is the freedom to exercise religion. The freedom to think is paramount. 
Our founders recognized that a government cannot thrive without first allowing its citizens to be themselves, to pursue their own version of the truth. This may seem like a dangerous idea in the era of social media, when it's so easy to get misleading or harmful information. But they understood that the religions of their fellow citizens might lead to some unfortunate outcomes, and they protected those beliefs nonetheless. And since there are thousands of religions in the world and they can't all be right, this leads to a corollary freedom. The right to be wrong. We are under no compunction to seek out the truth or accept it despite overwhelming evidence. We can hold illogical, self-defeating, nonsensical beliefs, and so long as we don't run afoul of the law as a result of those beliefs, no court can demand we reflect on them. One woman's search for truth cannot be regulated by the legislature or diverted by executive order. It is the responsibility of her fellow citizens to correct her, or for her to persuade them of their error. However, not all truths are created equal, and the response of the citizenry depends on the nature and significance of the claim, and the evidence put forth to support it. First are tastes, those personal beliefs which do not affect anyone else to a great degree. That shirt really clashes with that jacket. Or, my life would be better if I spent this hour playing video games instead of exercising. As much as I may disagree with you, it would be a nightmare for our government to step in here, and at some point we must accept our differences and celebrate our diversity. Then there are facts, those beliefs about the world which have so much evidence behind them that the burden of proof is firmly on the skeptic. The earth is round. Chocolate can cause health problems for dogs. The same criminal offense will, on average, lead to a harsher sentence for a black man than for a white man. The data is clear, variables are controlled, and in a better world we would hope that our government and our fellow citizens would consider these truths when making their decisions, great and small. When they do not, we must petition them to change their minds. Being right matters. Even so, we cannot force anyone to believe at these things. You may believe that being bitten by snakes will cure you of your disease. We can't stop you from thinking that, but we will intervene in the action. Finally, there are beliefs which certainly seem true enough to you, and important enough that you're willing to spend time and effort to correct someone. These are the source of great debates, dealing with security, taxation, individual liberties, and the nature of emerging technology. Here lies the greatest responsibility to gather up your best evidence and argumentation, to present them so effectively that your belief moves into the realm of fact. And it is with these beliefs that it is most important that you question yourself. No matter how obvious your belief, or how internally consistent it feels, see if there's any flaw in your reasoning. How would you defend it against a skilled debater, or a naive child, or a repugnant troll? While our Constitution cannot compel you to be right, our progress as a society requires it. Perfect truth is unattainable, but we should not use this as an excuse to be wrong when the answers are out there. Do not slacken in your search for truth and understanding and growth. That is your right, not your government's. And thank God for that! <laughs>